First Peter chapter 1. Peter has written this book under the inspiration of the Spirit of God to the Gentiles that were scattered abroad who were being persecuted for their faith, who were dealing with temptations and trials and maybe the temptation to give up, go back to what they were. You know, a lot of people get saved, come to Jesus and think that that's going to solve all their problems and make their life better. And you find out when you come to Jesus that some things get worse. I hate to say it. Humanly speaking, humanly speaking, some things get worse. Mom and dad won't talk to you anymore. Neighbors think you're weird. Uh, the, 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 the boss won't give you that promotion or whatever. Things happen sometimes. The Bible says, yea, all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There will be uh, the same expectation of us as that which they had of the Lord Jesus. And if they didn't like him, the Bible says they're not going to like you and I much either. Peter writes to these Gentiles trying to encourage their hearts and, and kind of give them a big hug. First Peter is kind of like a one big, big hug saying you're part of the family. You're born into the family of God now. You are strangers like we are. Uh, but you are chosen elect by God like we are, and there is hope. Because of Jesus Christ, we can abound in hope. Verse 3 has been our theme verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lord, help us. As we look at your word, I pray that we would Get a hold of the lively hope that we have in Christ. Lord, would you help in this service each one to be able to put aside any distraction. May the devil be clearly bound from uh, inhibiting me or any of these here or any who are watching online from being able to hear and apply your word. Lord, thank you for your grace that is sufficient. Thank you for your love that sets us free. Help us now, Lord, to abound in your hope as you have written for us to do here, may we put our hope continually, hope to the end, in the grace that is given by Christ Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. He starts off by reminding them of their identity, their identity as a stranger and as an elect a sojourner. And through this, they have a new perspective on life. They have a new priority on praise. For their salvation, their secure inheritance, their safekeeping, we should be people who have praise on the tip of our tongues. New purpose in trials. They can now rejoice in sufferings, recognizing that what they're going through in God's eyes is precious. It's not something that is a tragedy to suffer for Him. It is precious, and the trying of our faith purifies our faith and, and helps us to have an, the, the eye of faith to see what is really going on. And he tells them about their new privilege in redemptive history, that they're the envy of the prophets and the angels. And then last week, he encourages them uh, with that word wherefore in verse 13 to put their hope fully in the grace of God based on everything they talked about before. Wherefore? 
Wherefore what? Wherefore, according to all that we have just talked about in verse, verses 1 through 12, set your hope fully. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. The idea there is to set your hope fully upon the grace of God. Don't look other places. Don't look to other people. Don't look to other circumstances or events. Your hope has got to be fully in Him to the end. Hope until Jesus comes. And how do we do this? By girding up the loins of our mind, preparing our mind for action. We talked about that. The guy in the, in the Bible times who would take his tunic and wrap it through his legs, pull it around, tie it off, and now he's ready to be unencumbered in the work or unencumbered in the action. We set our help fully in the grace of God by preparing our mind for action and by means of remaining sober-minded. Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope or set your hope to the end in His grace. We get into verses 14 through 16 and he continues this same thought. He says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That sounds impossible. Does God give you a command that you can't do? Does He give you a command just to see you fail? Be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written, Be ye holy for I am holy. And why is He talking about holiness anyway? You know, you could say the, the Apostle Peter is writing this book to encourage these downcast, beat-up believers to set their hope in God, to lift their spirits. And now he's going to start preaching on sin, and he's going to start preaching on holiness and going after them. I mean, come on, these poor people are beat down. You're going to beat them down more by bringing up holiness? Uh, people don't like to hear about holiness because holiness, you know, that, that, that implies uh, my sinfulness, and dealing with the sins and so forth. And it almost seems like he takes an abrupt left turn. We were talking about hope. We were talking about praise. We are talking about all this good stuff. And now you're like, be holy. Well, what is the deal here? Well, we're looking at this series, Lively Hope, and specifically this morning, how holiness impacts hope. That's our message this morning. How holiness impacts hope. Can a holy life, or the lack thereof, impact the state of one's hope? Yes, I believe it can. And that is why I believe we find this here. The Holy Spirit, inspiring the apostle, knows exactly what we need. He knows if we're going to walk by faith and have that joyful, confident expectation, hoping in the grace of God, uh, it's hard to do that without a holy walk. There are a lot of factors, most certainly, that will cause a person to lose hope. External circumstances, losing a job, losing a spouse, or losing a family member, or, 
or uh, all sorts of things can, can cause us to lose hope. But there are also some inner things that can cause us to lose hope. Someone's manner of life and conduct can certainly play a major part at eroding their character, at burdening their conscience, and accumulating consequences that accumulate more consequences that lead to worse choices, that lead to worse consequences, and it's just this downward spiral, and the individual loses hope. Pastor Barbara, are you saying that anyone who loses hope has got a sin problem? Not necessarily. But I am saying that if you have lost hope or you're hopeless, uh, there may be things that you can control and that should encourage you. There are some cancers, we don't know where they come from. We don't know the rhyme or the reason. Somebody gets cancer and we say, wow, um, uh, this person was healthy as far as we know. They ate good, they slept good, they worked out, they got cancer, right? It's a mystery. Then there's other people who, you know, somebody gets cancer and they smoked six packs a day or whatever and gets lung cancer. And usually folks don't scratch their heads about that, right? Uh, if a guy gets lung cancer or smoked, uh, and I don't know if you can smoke six packs a day, but all uh, right, if you could, uh, no one would be scratching their head. We'd say, okay, he made some choices and this was kind of what happened. And so it is with this matter of hope. There are some choices that we make that erode our mind, our heart, our perspective, <clears throat> and leave us in a place of hopelessness. Peter instructs his readers in verse 13 to hope to the end. And no doubt some were being tempted to quit and to return to their former lifestyles. They were surprised by the difficulties they'd encountered in their new walk with Christ. As the Israelites in the book of Exodus were tempted to return to Egypt, remember that? So these Gentile believers were no doubt tempted to just return to the former way. And he calls it out specifically. He says, don't go back to the former lusts and your ignorance. Don't do what the, the Israelites wanted to do in the book of Exodus in going back to Egypt. That's not going to help. But we do sometimes struggle with this, don't we? We, we find our spot, ourselves in a spot where we make bad choices, a brother begins to lose hope, so he, he cashes in holiness for temporal pleasures, hope, satisfaction. This is a lack of faith whenever we do this. And that lack of faith undermines hope because what is hope? Hope is joyful, confident expectation. So if you're making faithless decisions, you are, it's hard to make faithless decisions and full of faith decisions at the same time. And, and so it undermines our hope, which leads to more sin, which leads to more consequences of a worse nature, which leads to more despair and less hope. And then sometimes to fix that void, we go for another pleasure and it just continues down and down and if responsibility is not taken, this spiral can continue uh, and, and end up in some, some very dark places. He says, hope to the end. And part of the way you and I are going to do that, hold on to hope to the very end till Jesus comes, till I stand before Him, 
How are you going to do that? For some of us, for, for all of us, holiness is going to play a part in that. If you throw out holiness, you probably won't hope to the end. Now here's a question that is a fair question. How do you obey a command to feel? To feel a certain way. You know, I can obey a command to do. Pick up the glass and drink. I can pick up a glass and I can drink. But the command, be happy now. That's a little harder, isn't it? Yay, I'm happy now. Okay. Uh, It's hard to do that. Uh, How about hope now? Be hopeful. Be hopeful. How How do you do that? He says, put your hope in the grace of God. Hope to the end. I can't, I can't obey a command to feel a certain way. Well, obviously, the Spirit of God thinks we can, and Peter did. And so there must be some things that are in this text that are going to help us to be able to be able to obey a command to feel a certain way and to, uh, to hope in this context. There's a progression here, all right? Peter lifts the gaze of these Gentile believers to hope fully in the grace of God, and he breaks it down for them by focusing on their head, their heart, and their hands. Okay, we're going to deal with the mind, and then some emotions and desires, and then some actions. And this is really the, the, the progression here in this short passage. The head, heart, hands progression. It begins with the mind, it affects the passions, and it impacts the conduct resulting in remaining grounded in hope. Yes, you can obey a command to feel as you think right, which impacts your heart to desire right, which impacts your hands, your body to act right and obey a holy God. Let's look first at our head, okay? We'll talk about the mind. Focus the mind upon the truth. How do we do this? Well, verse 13, verse 13 helped us with this, with that little word, wherefore. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. We looked at this uh, last week, but just to, to, to go back to that, uh, as we are going to get our minds around this process, we first have to keep our minds focused on the facts referred to in that word, wherefore. The new identity, the new perspective, the new reasons to praise God, the new purpose in suffering, the new privilege in redemptive history. Your mind has to be dwelling on the right stuff. Mine doesn't always do that, does yours? And it's amazing how our minds affect our hearts that fast, and our hearts affect our hands and the rest of our body just that fast. What are you you keeping your focus upon? He says, focus on the facts, the wherefore. You have the mind called out in verse 13, but you have the mind called out in verse 14 as well. Your mind is being conformed back to your former mindset in the days of your ignorance in verse 14. 
and he doesn't want that to happen. So look at that, that, that verse. Verse 14 says, <clears throat> as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. So he says there was a way you used to think formerly, and it was ignorance. We're talking about the mind, right? Nobody wants to be considered ignorant. That's kind of uh, insult or uh, upsetting, potentially. Uh, but he says, look, when you didn't know me as Savior, all you had was just the ignorance of this flesh. Follow this impulse. Chase that desire. If it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. Look out for number one. He says, that's how it used to be. Don't fashion yourself that way anymore. Now, when we think of the word fashion today, we think of the word in the sense of clothes. And it certainly, this word does encompass clothing, but it's bigger than that. He's not just saying, don't dress like you used to dress, though that would actually apply. But it's much bigger. It's, it's the idea of conformity or modeling oneself after something or being pressed into a certain mold. There's only two times this word appears in the New Testament. This word fashion or fashioning. <clears throat> Here in Romans 12, 2. Now who can guess what is the word in Romans 12, 2? It's right off the top. And be not conformed to this world. This word, not fashioning yourselves, is the same word in Romans 12, 2. Not conforming yourselves not pressing yourself into that mold. Sure, that would include dress. That would in include more than that. It would be lifestyle, conduct, attitudes, actions. It would be the whole thing. Just whatever you were before, don't run back to that. You've been saved. You have a new mind. You now have the mind of Christ. Paul talked about that a lot. And therefore, with the mind of Christ, we have a new opportunity to think on the new things that are ours to meditate upon. And those are the very things referred to by that little word, wherefore. He says, don't model your life or conform your life or fashion your life according to your days of ignorance. Now, I think there's something else we want to point out here that's important <clears throat> before we go on. And that's the two little words that you see there, at, uh, three little words, as obedient children. Do you see it? As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. I think it's important to recognize that he, he calls them up to the salvation that they professed. He does not make his argument by calling their profession into question. I think this is so important because, folks, I've seen the devil who is the accuser of the brethren and the king of doubt and fear. I've seen him wreak havoc in churches when we don't take this approach that Peter took. He doesn't say, oh, so you guys are tempted to quit, huh? Lost hope. Okay, and some of you have quit and you're going right back to the former lust in your ignorance and you think you're saved. You think you're saved. Oh my, you, you guys aren't saved. Look at what you're doing. 
I tell you what, no safe person would ever do what you're doing. And he could have that fast caused the entire body of believers to begin to question that which should be the bedrock foundation of everything that they need to build. But you say, but preacher, but wait, 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 wait. What if some of them weren't really saved? Wouldn't it be good then to call that into question? Hey, maybe some of you guys are getting ready to quit, lose hope and go back to the, your old way, you know, because you're not saved and I, I want to make sure we sniff you out, whatever. Shouldn't we do that, preacher? Because there probably are a few false converts in there. You know, I like to take my approach the way I see it in Scripture here and elsewhere. And uh, the best way to help someone in the matter of their salvation is to just preach salvation clearly. Let the Holy Spirit do the work of confirming that they are saved or convicting them that they're not saved. As opposed to me doing the judging. I, I don't see any scripture that tells me that my responsibility as a pastor is to sniff out who's really saved here and who's really not. I, I've, had, I've had people, uh, well, no, uh, well, uh, well-meaning people, say, Preacher, how many, how, 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 how many of the people in your church are actually real, real genuine believers? How many do you think are, are really saved? I'm, I'm, I don't lose any sleep about that. I pray, I preach, I leave that to the Lord. If we talk and one thing leads to another, I go down the road that needs to go down. We work it out. We look at Scripture. But I don't want to call into question your salvation. Neither do I want to declare you saved. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a problem on both sides. Okay, And you see Peter here. He does not say, now look, folks. I know for a fact every one of you are saved, so therefore, he didn't say that. And he didn't say, I bet half of you aren't saved. He didn't say that. He just said, as obedient children. Now that's helpful. That's helpful to me because he is now going to tell us how obedient children act, respond, how God works in their lives, what what should be expected here. And so we can then, with the Holy Spirit's help in the Word of God, the Bible does say this, examine yourselves to see if you be in the faith. So you, with the help of the Holy Spirit, can work through this without having someone else uh, clobbering you with doubt that we don't need. Okay? The accuser of the brethren is already so masterful at getting us to doubt. Uh, you may have heard this illustration. Uh, it's not original with me. It's somebody else's illustration. I, so I'm going to just blatantly steal one. Dr. Bill Rice III uh, would talk about how uh, he would be outside throwing rocks at the church building after his dad had preached. And his dad comes out and says, uh, Bill, Rice's don't throw rocks at church buildings. There's two ways you can take that. I guess I must not be a rice. Oh no, I, you know, where did I come from? What's the story? Mom, Dad, have you been lying to me? Okay, that's one way you can take it. Or you can say, wait a minute, I am a rice, so therefore I should probably do what I'm supposed to do, act accordingly. 
There's another verse that's very similar. Ephesians 5, 8, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Hey, the apostle says, if you are a child, walk like it. He doesn't say, I bet you're not a child because you're not walking like it. He's calling them up and letting the Holy Spirit do the work and be the traffic cop. Okay, which way we're supposed to go here? And this is so important <clears throat> because he is trying to help them with this journey of hope and they are struggling with their walk of purity, their walk of holiness. They are tempted to give up and to go back to the former lust and their ignorance. And he says, hold on. What would an obedient child of God do in this situation? I think they would not fashion themselves according to the former lust in the days of their ignorance. No. I think rather an obedient child of God would have a desire that is different than the former desire. That word lust is the word for desire. Your former desires are now made uh, replaced by new desires. The desire to be holy because He is holy and I love Him and want to serve Him. Folks, what's the, what's the passage telling us here? He's telling us don't return to the days of foolish ignorance. The way I used to think, shouldn't be thinking that way anymore. Uh, the, 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 the things I used to meditate upon, I, should, I, I need to gird up the loins of my mind. I need to be sober-minded. I need to think about the wherefore and all that came before in this passage. Everything I am in Christ, everything I have to praise Him for. I don't want to return to the days of ignorance. Isn't it foolish? Remember when they told Moses, we want to go back to Egypt. It was better back then. Now, let me just ask you, is that a foolish thing to say? That's about as foolish as it comes. And that's how foolish you and I are when we get discouraged in this walk of faith and we say, you know what? It was better back in Egypt. I'm just going to go back to the former lusts. At least it felt good for a moment. At least I have all my buddies and my family and everybody else and they'll understand. But no. Remember what that was. Remember the emptiness. Remember the pain. Remember the suffering and the scars. It is deceit from the devil. The devil himself is working in your mind to blind you and to tempt you back to that which you have been delivered from. You are no longer a captive if you are in Christ. You are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Don't return. Paul got a little, a little testy with the Galatians. <laughs> Galatians 3. He said, Oh foolish Galatians. And a few verses, a few words later, he says, Are ye so foolish? And goes on. It's like, boy, I'm glad Paul doesn't preach around here. <laughs> this is the Bible, okay? Uh, he's still preaching today. Sometimes we need our folly to be pointed out. And it's not mean. It's love. To recognize I don't want my kids to go to a, a path of ignorance 
and love would warn them about that. Don't return to your ignorance. Keep your mind focused on the right facts. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Think like a child of God. The word wherefore. This is, uh, again, the new knowledge that supersedes the former ignorance. And it informs our feelings. How are you thinking? First of all, he starts with the head. Gird up the loins of your mind and stay away from the ignorance. Okay? Uh, as you're setting your hope in God. So we saw the head. Focus your mind upon the truth. Then we'll, we'll move to the heart. Pursue new passions in place of the old as you put your hope in God. Pursue new passions. That word lust has the idea of passion or desire. There are former passions and there are new passions. And in this passage is a contrast. The passion to go back to lust or the passion to be holy as He is holy. Well, the head informs the heart. This is why it's so important to think right. The head informs the heart. What we think upon will feed our passions. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's a convicting verse, if you're honest. What do you think about? What do you allow to dwell in your mind? That's who you are. I'm not a murderer. Do you think about killing somebody? As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Well, at least I'm not a thief. You ever think about stealing? You ever get greedy? Think, I wish I could take that from so-and-so. They don't deserve it. I deserve it. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Well, at least I've been faithful to my wife. I've never committed adultery. Do you think about it? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We may not be all we think we are, okay? All we'd like to think. The Bible says, as Jesus said, He said, it's not just what you do, it's what you think, because that informs your heart, which informs your direction. Keep thy heart with all diligence, Proverbs 4.23, for out of it are the issues of life. We ought to be zealous to root out the root of bitterness in our life that is causing corruption, that cancer of bitterness, root it out. It's going to start with the mind, which will impact the heart. We need to root out the greed and the lust and those sinful desires that are causing our heart to be tied to temporal things as opposed to our hearts just tied to God. As you think, so your heart will follow the heart and the head. Impact each other. A double-minded man, James 1.8, is unstable in all his ways. Have you thought about that? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Well, it's hard to keep your actions doing one thing when your heart is all over the place because your head is double-minded. And eventually, your, 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 your actions will line up with your heart, which lines up with your head. There are times where we wonder, why can't I get anywhere in life? Why aren't things working? Why doesn't anything work out? Maybe it's because we're double-minded. We don't know where we're going. 
We have not, as Paul did, just set his face like a flint. We have not just locked our eyes on the cross and said, Lord, fill all my vision. I want to do your will. I surrender all. Take my mind. Inform my heart. And then, Lord, would you flow through me the right action. When hope seems lost, don't let your heart return to the former lusts the former lusts in your ignorance, sinful pleasures and appetites. We can go back to those things because they might give us some temporary hope. Vain pursuits of greed and glory. Uh, Some temporary feel good, uh, but, but it's not going to be what God has for you. Substances, we can go back to those that numb the pain that would have otherwise brought you to the Lord. You know, pain is... Not a bad thing. I'm not saying don't ever pop a Tylenol, okay? I'm not saying that, but I am saying sometimes we just say, I can't deal with life anymore. I can't deal with it. And so you dive into some substances and maybe inebriation of some, some sort or another, and you would try to ignore things, but the problem is God was giving you or allowing you to have that pain to draw you to himself and to bring you along a certain direction and you're just pushing away, pushing away because your heart wants to do its own thing. Where your, heart, where, your, where your mind dwells, your heart will pursue. What your heart pursues will manifest itself eventually in actions. And then the actions oftentimes aren't that good. And we have this unstable life, the double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways, unstable life from unstable actions and consequences spinning out of control, which puts our mind in a troubled place. Now we've got more trouble to consider. We're more double-minded when our heart is more split and we make worse actions. And again, folks, it is circular. It's a spiral. When our head does not inform our heart, our heart lets things get out of control. Our actions then uh, put our head in a worse place. I remember watching this with a friend of mine as he, he uh, left his wife to go to another uh, place with a, another woman and stayed there for years and uh, sinned against his wife, his Lord, and his conscience. And he eventually... Uh, left that relationship and came back to church and came back to the Lord, but there was such damage done. Emotionally, he'd been carrying so much guilt. Do you know, folks, I don't think any of us understand how much weight is in our, and it can be in our bodies and our minds and our souls from guilt. How much does guilt weigh? A lot. You know, if you just carried around 300 pounds all week long, eventually your body might start to break down. Some of us do that. From the actions and the heart and the guilt, and it just continues to compound, and eventually things break down, and the mind can't handle it. We begin to snap. We begin to come unraveled. And I watched as my friend began to come unraveled. And he ended up being committed into a a, a mental institution when he totally just broke apart. Now, I believe that there was grace for him 
And I don't believe he had to go down all of those roads, but he, we're all human, right? And there are bad choices and, the, and there's guilt and sometimes we don't, we don't take that to God and it just breaks us down. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. If any of us think that we don't have to worry about this head, heart, hands progression, you're kidding yourself. And you're not superhuman. And nobody is that tough that they can just get away with carrying uh, two tons of guilt through life and think that it will not eventually break them. What the head thinks, the heart pursues, and then the hands perform. Let's look at hands as we bring this to a close. Present your body to God as conformed to His holiness. But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. For it's written, what do you say? Be ye holy, for I am holy. What does it mean to be holy? Holy means to be separate from that which is common, to be dedicated, devoted, hallowed, or pure. So here's, here's the encouraging part about this verse. Somebody says, I can't be holy. That's impossible. Only God is holy. If you understand the Word more fully, you'll understand this is possible. Can you be separated to God? Can you be devoted to God? Dedicated, hallowed to God, surrendered to God? And keep that in the forefront. I'm not saying you'll be perfect. I'm not saying you'll never sin or never trip up. We are humans. But we can set our sails this direction as opposed to the former direction in our ignorance. That's what he's asking of us. Don't let the world draw you back in. Pursue your relationship with Christ. Don't fashion yourself according to the former lust and your ignorance. Rather, fashion or conform yourself into the image of Christ. Make Him your highest pursuit. In some compartment of your life? No. What does it say? All manner of conversation. It's right there. As obedient children, he says, but as he, with, uh, as, as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So you say, okay, so that means I've just got to keep my mouth clean. Because he said, all manner of conversation. Well, got to help you here. Uh, the word conversation in the Bible is one of those words that has a broader meaning than what we use today in English. Today we use the word conversation and we narrow it down to speech. But when this was written a long time ago, the word conversation had a broader meaning, and it means the whole of your conduct, your entire manner of life. It means your lifestyle. So God is saying, I want you to be holy, hallowed, set apart, dedicated in every area of your life and conduct unto me. No compartments left out. And folks, if we're honest, and I hope we can be honest today, if we're honest, many of us know of little compartments here or there in our life and we're like, no, I mean, I'm just not going there. But I've given God this and this and this and this. And I, you know, I can tell you all the things I do for the Lord and how I serve the Lord. And I'm not going over to this compartment and that compartment. Folks, 
This is our God we're talking about. He deserves our whole being. He sent his son and died in our place and shed his blood to purchase us and he bought every compartment, not just most. All manner of life and conduct. What is verse 15 and 16 telling us? It's just simply saying that our entire manner of life should be passionately postured toward Christ and Christ-likeness. As he is holy, it says. Now that's the part that scares us. As he is holy, it's just, he's not saying you have to be perfect like I'm perfect. He's making sure we know what standard of holiness we're talking about. The holiness some guy talks about down the street? Some holiness that some guy cooked up in a theology textbook? No, we're talking about the holiness of God Almighty. He sets the standard. This is the, this is the, this is the trajectory. This is the aim, the direction. It is to be holy as He is holy. Bible holiness. You don't have to strive. You have to depend. You and I can't do this, but if we yield to Him, Paul said, for me to live is Christ. I can't do this, but I know someone who can. You know, someone, sometimes, folks, we, we forget that Jesus said He is life. I can't live a holy life. I can't live a holy life. Wait a minute. What is life according to Jesus? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What else did he say in John eleven twenty five? I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is life. And Jesus is holy. So whose life are you living? I can't live a holy life, you say. That is true for any human on their own but it is not taking into account the Holy Spirit as He takes us into the Christ life as we depend upon Him day in and day out. Sometimes, sometimes life is scary. You ever get scared? Not by just something, but by life itself. Someone says, what are you scared about? I can't give you one thing. I'm just scared. Life is scaring me, like uncertainties of life, problems in life, uh, potentials of life, and, and things happening outside of my control in life. Like, life is scary. Well, let's take a step back. Who is life? Jesus is life. Is Jesus scary? No. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It all comes down to whose life are you living? I can't live a holy life. Question, whose life are you living? I'm just scared in this life. Well, whose life are you living? I have a hopeless life. Whose life are you living? How can a Christian who has Christ's resurrection live a hopeless life? No, we have a lively hope. 1 Peter 1.3 is holiness in the life of the Christian worth it? Well, how can you say the life of Jesus is not worth it? 
to discard holiness is to cast away faith because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And to live in sin is perpetual unbelief. And so here's how this relates to hope. What we, where we began was talking about how holiness impacts our hope. What your mind dwells upon impacts your heart, which impacts your actions. Head, heart, hands. And if you get on the wrong pathway, you are not thinking holy, desiring holy, living holy. You're, and what happens is your compartmental unbelief erodes your faith. And with it goes hope. Do you see the connection? There are Christians who have lost hope, and it is a tragedy. No Christian should ever lose hope. We have everything we need to abound in hope. So why do we lose hope? There's all sorts of reasons. But one reason I'm focusing on today is when we discard holiness. And don't take me wrong, I did not say if you have no hope, you have discarded holiness. I'm saying it's one possibility of many for why you may have lost hope. You have discarded holiness. You have pursued the former lusts in your ignorance. This has caused more problems, more guilt, more grief, more consequences, more trouble in the mind. The cycle has continued. All of these choices are choices of unbelief. And it's hard to have confident, joyful expectation and unbelief in the same heart, head, and hands. Do you see the connection? Folks, we need to live holy lives, not because of some arbitrary standard that I made up, but because He is holy and I want to turn my back on the former things. And it's not about meriting something. It's about just fellowshipping with someone and knowing him intimately. As soon as you mention holiness, somebody says, oh, he said holiness, that's a legalistic church. Because I went to a Bible class once at the library and uh, the person said that if they ever talk about holiness, then they're legalistic. I don't know what that is, but I think it's bad. And I don't want that. And, and basically, if you ever talk about any do this or don't do that, you're legalistic. Folks, legalism has to do with the motive for why you're doing what you're doing. You're trying to earn something or merit something. And so if you're talking about holiness, believing you're going to earn something with God or merit something with God, then yes, we're talking about legalism. But if you're talking about be holy for I am holy because you love God and you want to walk by faith, and you want to de dedicate yourself to Him and please Him and fellowship Him and have your hope encouraged in His life and in His presence. That is not legalism. That is life in Christ. And His life makes a difference. His life will change how you think. His life will change how you feel, what you desire. His life will change where you go, how you act. His life. I want to finish with just reading this quickly. Ephesians 4, 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Does this sound familiar? 
This is what you'd call a parallel passage, okay? Two apostles saying the same thing. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off the, concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. This is Paul saying what Peter said. There is a former life. Put it off as you pursue Jesus Christ. He has created us for better than the ignorance of that former life. We'll conclude with just a couple of takeaways and we're done. There is a connection between holiness and hope. I hope you got that this morning. There is a connection between your holiness and hope. It does matter how you live because that will affect your faith. A life of unbelief and a life of faith are hard to put together, folks. My hands will not do what my heart does not pursue. And so many of us are so behavior-oriented. We're all about do the right thing and actions, actions, actions. But your, your hands are not going to do what's not here. And some of us are really beside ourselves. Why can't I get this right? Don't just focus on, focus on these. You have to focus on this and this. Oh, that sounds like work. Hey, it's going to be well worth it. It sounds like surrender. The head, the heart, and the hands progression to holiness begins with the mind. So just three things about the mind quickly. Focus on the wherefore instead of the what ifs. Get your head. Focus on the wherefore instead of the what ifs. Feed your feelings with facts. My feelings love to run away like a runaway freight train. Happened this morning. What do I have to do? I have to focus my feelings with facts. And then, finally, fix your mind on this moment. It'll ground you. Be grounded in this moment. God has me here. I'm not at work. I don't have to solve that. Uh, I'm not in next week. The bills at the end of the month will be there at the end of the month. And the grace of God will be waiting right along with it. But none of it's here today. We have to fix our mind on this moment as our mind is impacting our heart that will help us to have the right actions of hands, thus grounding us in hope as opposed to eroding it by living an unholy life. Lord, I pray your hand upon us as we've looked at a lot this morning. I pray you would help us to ground our hope in you. Help us to see the importance of holiness as it relates to our hope. 